0: reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? You
1: got all...
0: Oh, yeah. I got an interesting email from a client. Well, he, he's a client now. He wasn't a client when he sent me the email. And he said, I just can't seem to get any traction in my recovery. And utilizing the tools... I respect the program, but my addiction seems stronger than recovery. Please advise. So, you know, when I contacted him, I said, okay, you're utilizing the tools. I've never met anybody who utilized all the tools faithfully with due diligence and couldn't make it happen. And so we went over the 10 tools. I know if you've been listening to the show, you know how this works. They're very simple. The first five have to do with go to meetings, whatever your meetings are, get a mentor or a sponsor, read the book that supports those meetings, and then do the work within the book. You know, if it's 12-step work, do the 12 steps. You wouldn't believe how many addicts I talk to that have been in the program for two or three years and have not yet, and I mean yet, gone through the steps. You're not going to get the benefit of 12-step work unless you do the 12 steps. And then the last one of the five was fellowship. Make a call. Right. Make a call for yourself when you're needing help at least once weekly. Don't give me this BS that you don't need any help. You do need help. So make a call weekly and then make a call to give support. It's called reaching out, getting back. That's what you need to be doing. Okay, well, when I talked to him about those five tools, it was interesting because guess what? He was going to meetings. He had a sponsor. He wasn't talking to him. He had the green book. He had read it. He had read it um, the first couple of weeks. He'd been in the program several years. Had never gone back to reading it. Certainly not, had not done the 12 steps. Had never been in a 12 step workshop, right? So I think it's just really important that not only do you do the tools, but you do them to completion and you use your due diligence. And he certainly wasn't making fellowship calls. Then this five was go to a CSAT. He didn't even know what a CSAT was. I don't know how you can be listening to podcasts and and finding people like me if you don't know what a CSAT is. But for anybody who doesn't, I don't mean to shame you. It's a certified sexual addiction therapist. And then being in a recovery group for addicts. You remember that I told you, Patrick Carnes, that if there was one thing I could do for addiction, it would be to give the people I work with an opportunity to be part of a 12-step group. I'm sorry. Part of a sex addiction therapy group because you can cross-talk in that. For anybody who hasn't done 12-step work, you can't talk freely. You get to volunteer some thoughts, you may get a breakout where you can talk freely, but it's not like you can chat it up with other sex addicts. And then the third one is pray, meditate or journal. The fourth is have accountability tools, whether it's covenant eyes, whether it's a GPS, whether it's polygraphs, something that holds you accountable. And then last but not least, reading about your addiction. So I talked to him about it. It's a good thing he called me last year because I am leaning into retirement. I'm not taking new clients. But he said, okay, I, I need your wisdom and I need your direction and I guess I haven't been doing it right. So I felt so much better because he was going to get the help he needed. And he is doing well today. Now, you know that I believe if you've got an addiction, you've got to work on your personal recovery first. You just do. It's the only way you'll get some um, traction. And if you're in a relationship, then you need to simultaneously work on your relational skills. And that's why I'm so excited. We have Alex of Vila on the show. And um, Alex has been a CSAT, well, we'll find out how long, but he's been a CSAT for a while. And he's written a couple books. I remember having him on the show four or five years ago. Uh, He did a really nice job. He's got a new book coming out. So we're going to be talking about emotional safety, honoring yourself while developing trust and presence to experiencing meaningful relationships. Uh, I can't wait for that book to come out. He also is doing some very special work for ITAP, which is the organization that trains CSAT. So we're going to find out about that. and We're really going to find out what is emotional safety for an addict, for a partner? What do you need to feel safe regardless of who you are? You know, one of the things that I just did is uh, completed a certification called ERCOM. And ERCOM is the Early Recovery Couples Empathy Model, and it's teaching professionals and coaches how to work with couples. Love that. Last week, I did AFSTAT. And that's the Association of uh, of Partner Sense of the Works Around Sex Addiction. And so we help partners to get through the process of loving a sex addict, and we do that in a partner-sensitive way. I love that organization. Um, it's, it's been a wild ride. And to think that I've been doing this now for almost, let's see, almost 20 years, I never would have thought I would have developed such a niche, but I have. And I love it, and it makes me happy um, to be helping people. And so it's been a hard thing for me to decide to go into retirement, right? Because when you go into retirement, you want to pass on your skills and your clients to another experienced CSAT or APSAT. And unfortunately, there aren't any in my town. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, a huge Mecca, not another CSAT around. And then I look at the Chicago website for certified sexual addiction therapists, and there are lots and lots and lots. And I think we're only three and a half hours away. How could this be true? So what I'm doing is I'm writing books to help you all heal. And the very cool thing about writing books is it really is a way to help addicts, partners, clinicians, coaches to learn meaningful ways of intervening with this population. And so what I really appreciate is the fact that, wow, we are working hard at making this happen. Now, the truth of the matter is, it, it is very, um, people say, how do you work in this field? And I say, it's not hard. It's really a very specialized niche, but when you get all the information that you need, it gets very specialized and you figure out how to make it work, right? And so what I believe is that Even though it's a specialized niche, there are ways to make this safe for everybody. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. And so I have Alex Avila on the show. And, uh, you know, he is a proficient and prolific writer and very talented man. And so I'm really excited for you all to hear what he knows about this area. So, Alex, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Carol. Really appreciate you inviting me here. This is an important topic to talk about.
0: It really is, isn't it? I mean, emotional safety, from my perspective, is the number one first and foremost need that a partner has after discovery. And I know that you really want both. The sex addict, and the partner to feel safety. So I'm just going to ask, I'm going to just start out with a little bit about you. Um, you got, I know you've got a new book coming out. We're going to talk about that in a minute. And you've done a lot of other writings, have you not?
1: I did. I, I wrote the book, 40 Forms of Intimacy, just to really break down intimacy and what that means. We uh, so, you know it's much more than sex, but really to help, make a lot of different pathways to connection tangible mm-hmm. for people. Um, I wanted to write that and just give a lot of ideas, practical uh, exercises, and help them along their journey.
0: And, you know, there, you were like one of the first that really wrote about intimacy. I mean, it's like this is all such a specialized niche, but there wasn't anybody else really talking about intimacy. So your book was very, very groundbreaking and you have um, you just done a beautiful job of integrating your beliefs into what we know our couples need, especially after betrayal. So how long have you been a CSAT and tell us a little bit about where you're located, your website? kind of the dynamics so people can share that, and I've also put it in the show notes, but they'll be able to take a look at who you are and and maybe figure out a way to get to work with you.
1: Sure. Yeah, I uh, started training as a CSAT about five years ago and then quickly realized that I needed to do the partner training as well. So the Certified Partner Trauma Therapist uh, Program is very sensitive to repairing, I thought, not only just helping a betrayed partner, but also helping, I work with a lot of couples, and helping them restore the relationship and just helping them both see each other in a different light.
0: Well, I know. And so you got into that program, got the training on how to be partner sensitive. You know, I'm a part of APSAS, and they, I feel like they started the, they're the premier organization. And yet what we know about ITAP is that Carnes and Stephanie Carnes have really expanded this to be so comprehensive. I mean, we, we don't just look at addiction from the standpoint of sex. We're looking for financial addiction. We're looking for food addictions. I mean, and now you're training. Are you not um, in the partner-sensitive program? You actually took Stephanie's position?
1: Yeah, I'm filling in for a lot of the topics around couples. So in helping not only the, uh, the addict be more sensitive to the betrayed partner, but also helping couples navigate those steps, especially early on, but throughout their process of recovery. And even if they don't stay in the relationship, it's really important for both partners to have the uh, accurate information about what's going on, what happened, maybe even how some of these pre-existing struggles that we all have in relationships, where you know everything's on the table after uh, discovery happens and after betrayal is in motion, like all of that healing is in motion. Everything seems to be so big. So yeah, that that training I believe is very important for therapists to learn how to adequately help and understand you know, both the the betrayed partner,
0: the addict, and the coupleship. Oh, I, I couldn't agree more. And so you really find that emotional safety at the time of discovery and throughout the journey that a couple makes to decide are they going to stay together or not, that that is um, a critical need in the relationship. Can you say a little bit more about that?
1: Yes, I, I believe we need to be emotionally safe for anybody that we want to be in a relationship with. And, and that's what i wanted to do with this topic is really break that down to think of like, what is emotional safety?
0: Mm -hmm. Why is it
1: necessary? And again, throughout the entire stage of recovery in a relationship, but also way beyond that Um, often some kind of relationship infraction or betrayal part of that could be attributed to both partners, maybe not being tuned into each other, um, I mean, the, the behavior on part of the act is 100% that person's responsibility. But uh, when we look at all the other contributing factors that happened way before the discovery, maybe way before this couple even got together, we look at the individual uh, histories, their attachment histories, their, their struggles. We all struggle, right, as individuals, and so we're bringing all of this to the table. Mm-hmm. And those of us have not had adequate relationship education. So when you look at, you know, first of all, the word intimacy, Mm -hmm. we think about sex most of the time, right? We think about, some of us think about like closeness, of course, feeling connected and emotional intimacy and maybe spiritual intimacy, um, all these ways we can connect. But emotional safety, we're not going to connect with anybody on any significant level. If we can't share our heart, if we can't be ourselves, Mm -hmm. uh, if we can't continue sharing on a deeper level because we don't feel safe, we don't feel that that person is approachable. And I like to use that word approachability um, as almost a synonym for emotional safety, Mm -hmm. because if you're approachable, that means I can go to you. You're not going to reject me. You're not going to criticize me or minimize me. Right. And I'll get into the definition of emotional safety in a minute, but I can go to you and and there's no need for me to hold back because you're a safe person and you're on the path to intimacy is this emotional safety. So we're feeling comfortable with each other. We can talk about vulnerable topics. We feel safe in their presence. Mm -hmm. And within that also is trust. So, After trust has been fractured from relationship betrayal,
0: um, emotional safety is a must. Yeah, and and that does take a long time to build back in, and that's why I think empathy is so important to developing that emotional intimacy because she's not going to want to trust, even if she sees some of those very important changes, she's not going to want to trust it for fear that she's going to get duped again. And so timing and approachability, as you called it, empathy, and really that being willing, especially if you're the addict, whether that be male or female, um, if you're willing to hold her pain while she's expressing it and not react to it, not be defensive, not being critical, um, then she feels heard, and that's a new form of communicative connection, right?
1: Exactly. That's, that's one of the critical pieces that a partner needs in that betrayal recovery process is to, to know that, and, and we're always testing this. I call it calculating emotional risk. We're testing this. Can I share this? And of course, after and trust has been violated, we're wondering for a long time, can I even believe this? Mm-hmm. And yet, I, I like these changes. I like what I'm seeing here. Um, but maybe he's on a great path, and and I'm liking what I'm seeing. I've always wanted this type of connection, but can I trust it? But we need we need to see that, of course, consistently demonstrated over time. But we are calculating that emotional risk mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Anytime we want to share a little bit, you know, deeper with someone, our thoughts, our feelings, our needs, we're actually assessing that because because the pain of rejection, the, the response or the lack of response can be so devastating and can really just re-traumatize us as we're trying to heal because we don't get that response after taking a step out of vulnerability.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. And, again, when I think of, how I work with couples, you know, it's so important for him to understand that, that the science of partner betrayal and how that affects her brain. And when he understands that physiological response as well as the psychological response, I hope it will bring down his defenses so that he'll say, she's not meaning to attack me. She's not willing meaning to criticize me. But that's where her brain goes. It goes into that fight, flight, or freeze. Um, and I don't know about you, but that's when I think they both kind of need to go back to some elementary skills in feeling identification and um, need awareness. You know, when I look at a partner and I say, well, what do you need? Other than her being able to say, well, I need him not to act out. She doesn't know what her needs are. And I think that's partially because she is still in trauma brain, and that's a hard thing to identify. So what do you tell couples when when the need is for emotional safety? How would you work with a couple? What would you do?
1: Uh, we're looking, just like you said, Carol, we're looking at how they're communicating. They don't know what they need. We have to help them with that. Mm-hmm. And the great thing is that the addict can Pay attention to that, and we take notes and know how to offer the specific reassurance in those moments of pain when the brain has taken over mm-hmm. in that way uh, for self-protection. So we do need to offer the, the practical needs, and sometimes it is very practical. We're helping people recall their self-care strategies. What What do you need right now to calm down? And that could be taking some deep breaths, going for a walk, taking a break, But um, with their communication, and I believe how both partners can help each other and and be safe for each other is really slowing down Mm -hmm. and and looking at what am I going to say here, and is this going to help or is this going to harm? Because it's often just one of those two things, and, and what we say and what we do. So we do have to examine our communication patterns how we're connecting as a couple, how we get stuck in these negative cycles like every other couple on the planet. Mm -hmm. And how do we be there for each other in those moments when, again, everything else is inaccessible, right? We cannot access the part of our brain that's saying, oh, yeah, this skill works for me. Mm -hmm. We need to remind each other The partners can do that for each other. But then also, again, how we say things in those critical moments you know, it's a very delicate moments um, means everything. from um, The addict who's trying to repair and, and rebuild trust, mm-hmm. and the attitude, the sincerity, the humility—all of that means everything for for the partner to start to feel safe. Like I could trust this because I'm, I'm seeing it consistently, mm-hmm. but I feel it deeply. I feel it. it's real and. So it's, as we know, it's a process So we it has to be done over time. It takes a lot of time sometimes, depending on the depth of the pain and, and each person's response to it.
0: I was doing a training last week, and one of the students, um, a professional a trainee, said it makes me so mad when therapists will say that this process of partner betrayal takes three to five years to work through. Now, A, that's what I tell everybody, but I I say, you know, everyone's different. It could take longer. It could be shorter. Maybe you're going to be one of the lucky ones that can go through the stages of partner betrayal in three years. But I know that Patrick Carnes taught us uh, as he said that a sex addict's brain takes three to five years to develop the new neural circuitry to really be solid, and you know that's science. That's brain science. Well, I find the same thing with partners that that trauma, if she's working on things, can take a minimum of three years too. Now, do you have a certain frame timeline or framework that you believe? couples um, might have to undergo to get through the devastation of partner betrayal.
1: Yeah, I think, like you said, it is different for everybody. It could take longer for some, but I don't think real trust can happen um, in the first year, um, in the first couple years. Uh, and it's, it's, I think with, every, with the, the addict doing everything perfectly, you know, attending to, visiting, meeting the needs of their betrayed partner uh, in best-case scenario it just takes a long time, right? It's a process, and, and it's that consistency, that sincerity, the humility on the part of the addict. But, but I do agree with the, the partner needing this amount of time to recover from because you think about it mean, just affects your whole person, like your whole history. You, you look back to the whole relationship. And if you've been married for a few decades, you look back to the very beginning and you think, what is real? You know, this was going on the beginning or soon after, and you know, we're looking at dates, we're looking at activity, like what was real about that? So it does really shake a person, I believe, you know, to, to the core. And then, then you add, we're bringing in these attachment histories, any kind of childhood trauma, anything that has happened in previous relationships, especially parents, you know, abuse, neglect, you know, all of these types of very complicating uh, factors and experiences. And that, that just has a lot more pain. It has a lot more complexity and uh, time to the healing
0: process. Yeah, isn't it amazing that our couples oftentimes do choose to be together and they choose to stay together and work through it considering that so much of their history probably all of it was contaminated and mm. now they do wonder what really is real and if i think something's real today will i still be able to trust in that tomorrow just amazing they're they're so strong and courageous mm. both of them and I don't think sex addicts get enough um, credit because my experience is when they watch their wives, in, when their fog leaves their brain and when they really want to help her heal and they're watching the devastation that they were so detached from when they were acting out, that's part of addiction. They're not supposed to be thinking about anybody else but themselves. When they watch that, they're traumatized. Wouldn't you agree, Alex?
1: Definitely. Uh, it's, it's hard to see. And then, you know, when somebody is able to sincerely take ownership to what they've done to this other person that they love and it, it really hits them, it can be overwhelming. with a shame uh, for them just to try to repair this. But when they do connect with that deep hurt and, and they really start to understand the depth of the pain, how mm-hmm. uh, the partner gets that. And that, I believe, starts the healing Clock right, the, the clock starts ticking with trust rebuilding because now, and that's with emotional safety. Like you you're, you see me, you get me. You know, you're not creating more pain. Um, you're with me, and we're we're in this together. It's it's no longer a you're on your recovery, you're doing your thing. It's we're in this together, and and that can really strengthen. I mean, couples can come out of something like this. This level of betrayal can come out of this much more connected and i see that when when people are putting everything on the table right sometimes we need to to see a counselor a lot sooner than we actually step out and do that so when we finally do this we're we're putting everything out there and and the addict and the partner are with insane courage like putting everything on the table and they're working through it and it is exhausting but it, it does take tremendous bravery and they, they reach a place of personal healing in this, mm-hmm. and they can see things more clearly as an individual, but then they're looking through this lens of, of real hope, even at their partner, because despite the pain, and you know that there are setbacks, and it, it comes at different times, you know, sometimes in the same minute, same hour, but they have a, a renewed sense of hope, I believe, because they see the person that they've wanted from the beginning, and, and they, they're gaining tools, mm-hmm. and, and they've already been through or they're enduring the most difficult part of this, and, and they have a renewed sense of hope that things can be a lot better, that they can really truly enjoy deep intimacy with this other person.
0: Well, I know, and, you know, you referenced it earlier when you said it makes it a little bit harder when they've had their own betrayals early on in their childhood, maybe they've been molested, maybe they've watched a mother and father be in unsafe situations due to alcoholism or drug abuse, that post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress can really um, get in the way of you doing your personal work because it just all seems so overwhelming. Now, What would you advise our listeners if they had that kind of trauma history? They had it in their childhood. Now they've got it in their present day. Maybe they're seeing him make some great changes. I find that men are really motivated to make those changes as long as they learn how. You know, oftentimes they're like deer in the headlights. They don't know what to do next, especially if she's pushing him away. What would you say to couples who want to go deeper and increase that um, sense of healing and that sense of trust?
1: Yeah, I believe when people are individually working with a therapist and they're looking at some of these deeper mm-hmm. um, history of is the issues, like whether a childhood, the attachment style for one, that we're already, many of us are already coming into a relationship with some anxiety or insecurity. So when you look at that in the framework of an attachment style and you have another piece of the puzzle and you you look at your personality, you look at your partner's personality, uh, a lot of those same things from childhood, same things from your previous adult romantic relationships, childhood trauma, all of that is going to be activated. Even in your present day adult romantic relationship or marriage where it doesn't seem like it would be connected, but in some way, those same feelings, because we, we have the same feelings and needs. Mm-hmm. Even as a child, we have that need for safety and connection and love and to be accepted and to be seen and feel valued. So, so some of those same feelings, when they were neglected mm-hmm. or when we've been abused mm-hmm. in those certain areas, those same things get activated decades later. So when we understand these as an individual, and we're at a place in our maybe in marriage or couples therapy after a while that we're able to share those. Again, not not excuse. We have to be careful there with timing. Uh, and we can't blame our present day behaviors and, and allocate all of that responsibility to what dad or mom did or didn't do when they should have. It's it's kind of separating that. So we have to be delicate with the timing. But sharing those childhood trauma stories. Um, when a couple is ready can be very powerful because now they're putting some of the pieces together and they're turning toward each other with a renewed and genuine compassion Mm -hmm. because they're seeing the whole story in that context. So it really can help a couple start to feel close when they're sharing some of their histories, some of their vulnerabilities, maybe some of their struggles, why they struggle with intimacy, why they struggle with, being honest and transparent, mm-hmm. as we know a lot of people with addiction do, you know, just being able to identify feelings, express them, share them, talk about them, that doesn't come natural. So to be able to do that and then for a partner to understand the history of why that's such a barrier can be really eye-opening for a partner and a couple.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree. And for those that are tuning in, late in the show, this is, um, I'm interviewing Alex Avila, and he is um, a proficient writer. He's an author. He's actually got a new book out, and, you know, today we're talking about emotional safety, and he happened to write a book about it, and it's called, it, this is absolutely the title of it right now, right, Alex? Yes. Okay, boy, I admire you. I I have so much trouble figuring out titles. Emotional okay. safety, honoring yourself while developing trust and presence to experience meaningful relationships. And that means you're going to become an expert on emotional safety and really uh, that it looks like you've broken it down into two two parts the honoring of yourself and also the knowing what you need to find safety with another. Would you agree with that?
1: Right. Yeah, I think when we think anybody who's been through something traumatic, especially relational trauma from significant attachment figures early on, usually parents or caregivers. Um, but we, if we've been through any kind of trauma like that, we, we have to remember that we have to honor ourselves first. We have to be safe first. A lot of times we get into these uh, caretaking behaviors where we, we want everyone else to feel comfortable or we want to make sure that they like us or feel good around us. But there's a lot of energy that people can spend when they have had something traumatic happen to them um, just to be around other people. Mm-hmm. So I wanted those, those first two words in my subtitle, honoring yourself. Um, to help people really know and to highlight for them that they are important. And if you want to build safety, we have, we have to start with ourselves. And when we know safety, we will know which people to keep out of our inner circle, okay, who who is unsafe, who is safe, and, and who we give ourselves. We have to give ourselves permission to keep people out and to feel okay about that and to be – we could be respectfully assertive by – people out of our inner circle if they're going to traumatize us or, or be or minimize or gaslight or you know, do any of these uh, behaviors that end up you know, heightening
0: our sense of trauma. Yeah, absolutely. Now I know we're beginning to wind down the show and our listeners are always hungry for tools and tips. Can you um, give them something that they can walk away with today? That they can start practicing right now.
1: Yes, I, I want to share a few things here that you know I think really practical, but can help, uh, especially in the early stages of betrayal trauma recovery in the relationship. And and I, I simplified it to just A B C. the so A B C levels of sharing.
0: Okay. And it's
1: really about your communication. Sometimes when we're just starting recovery and we're in therapy. Maybe in couples therapy, we're we're feeling good, and then we go home, and we're getting back into some of those old patterns. A lot of the pain is reactivated, and maybe we just don't have enough understanding of it or enough skill yet to to manage that outside of the therapy office. So A would be you could share at home, um, A level of communication, and that is really just content. It is intentionally keeping it on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're not going into any emotion. We're just really logistical information. We might be talking about what we're going to eat that day or are you going to take the kids to practice? Or It's just very surface, and I know that could be painful because some sometimes that, that's all we've had is surface emotion um, or surface conversation, um, but for the time being and trying to repair betrayal and counseling, it is important to not go too deep. So B is sharing that content sharing just what's going on, but no, like a little bit of emotion, but not too much because C is the deeper issues, the deeper feelings, really the reason why we're seeing a therapist. Um, So we have to save that for therapy. So the A, B, C can be helpful um, if a couple can agree to that. And maybe you can share that with their therapist. We're going to try to have a B conversation. Can you help help set us up for success this week um, so we can do that? And then kind of gently – gradually get to the key conversations outside of the therapy office. Mm -hmm. Another quick one is creating a safe zone, and that is really just finding a spot in your house um, where you can have a deeper conversation. This might be those B conversations for a little while, but in that space, maybe we're only meeting for five or ten minutes. It doesn't have to be a long conversation, but we're sharing a little bit about what's going on with us. Right. Um, you, you provide a really good framework, Carol, and, and help her heal, right? Just a framework about what to share, kind of those check-ins. Mm-hmm. So that could be a time where they check in with each other about what's going on, what are they feeling, you know, kind of what are they needing. Um, and then another one would be to evaluate your sense of safety. Now, are you feeling safe, and how can you request more safety from the partner? So that might be asking myself, um, if I'm afraid to share, what am I afraid of? What's going to happen if I share this thought or this feeling or this need? Uh, how will I react if my partner doesn't respond to me in the way I need it to? So evaluating our safety to share and then
0: really asking
1: ourselves, am I a safe person? Am I being safe for my partner? So, and, and A big part of that is validation. right? So noticing and affirming someone's thoughts or feelings or needs um, that they're valid. We don't validation is that we may have to give them a stamp of approval and say I agree with 100% of what you said. Mm-hmm. It just means I hear you and I care enough to keep listening because I love you. I value you. Um, and I'm trying to separate that from maybe what you said that I might not fully agree with. So when you're tracking with them, you're saying things like I can see how you feel afraid based on what you shared, you're validating them. Well, that sounds overwhelming, or I don't know what to do. I'm glad you told me. So, so those, those three things I think would be really important for someone, and, and I think really at any stage um, of their recovery process, to be able to create that safe place and to be safe for their partner and to ask for safety. Um, and then again, the ABC, knowing how, how deep they can go and, and really intentionally containing or avoiding going deeper with the, the help and the guidance of their couples therapist so it go well. We want it to go well for people, and when they're ready and they can take that step together, mm-hmm. let go deeper, it's going to go well.
0: Oh, I agree with that 100%. Alex Avila, we so appreciate your um, wisdom and can't wait for the book to come out. Probably coming out in February, correct? Yes. And it, uh, I always say congratulations on birthing that baby because a book is <laughs> like a baby. You go, you're, you're with it forever, trying to get it going. Um, and I look so forward to reading it. If our listening audience would like to take a look at his website see what he's got in terms of tools and resources. His website is alexavila, which is A-V-I-L-A dot com. And you can sign up on that website to be notified about pre-ordering his book. Again, it's coming out in February. Be one of the first to have it, especially, you know, if you're struggling with emotional safety and you know you need more than what you're getting right now. So many of you don't have that therapist that knows what to do to increase safety, and it sounds like this is an entire book devoted um, to not only the emotional safety but that emotional connection to build trust and honor yourself. So, Alex, thank you so much. I so appreciate it. And keep us posted. I. I can't believe you didn't share with me earlier in the year that you had this book you're working on.
1: <laughs> yeah, like you said, it, it, it's a baby, right? <laughs> you kind of keep it uh, close and and you work on it, and yeah, it's it, it's just good to be here. I really appreciate that you thought to to have me on and welcomed me here, and I really appreciate the work you've been doing as well with your teaching and your writing and. Uh, It's just great to to have so many great people in this field of of sex addiction recovery and and trauma and partner recovery.
0: You know, with, with our backgrounds in trauma, I say our community, I feel like, is some of the smartest professionals in the world. So I wish you well. Keep me posted. And thanks again for the emotional safety you provided today.
1: Great. Thank you, Carol. We really appreciate that. You're very welcome.
0: Okay. You take care. You too. And so that was Alex Avila, which again is A-B-I-L-E-A. A-B-I-L-A. And I'm going to go make a cup of coffee now. I have my vaccine, uh, my booster, and I had my flu shot yesterday on my birthday, right? And everybody's like, how are you feeling? And I'm like, I'm tired. I'm really tired. Good thing I woke up today ready to go again. I was only tired for about 17 hours. So I wish you the best, you know. You have to fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. And November is an interesting month with a lot of upcoming holidays, with a lot of Climate changes, a lot of weather to deal with, and um, intentional self-cure is what I heard Alex say. Care of yourself, and we'll see you next week for more Sex Help with Carol the Coach.